0: Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Chris Law. Number one, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister.
1: Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today.
0: Chris Law. Uh, A very Happy New Year to you, Mr Speaker, and I would like to extend that to everyone in this House. It has been over six months since the European referendum. Embarrassingly for the Prime Minister, the Scottish Government is the only administration on these islands that have published a plan on what to do next. Has the Prime Minister read it yet?
1: Has the Prime Minister read it yet? And when will she be publishing her own plan? But yeah. <coughs> well, can I join the honourable gentleman in wishing everybody in the House, not only members but all the staff of the House, a very happy new year. And can I say to him that I've, uh, as I said to the Liaison Committee when I appeared in front of them before uh, Christmas, I will, in a, few we- in a matter of weeks, be setting out some more details of our proposals on this issue. But I would like just to remind the Honourable Gentleman, when he talks about the Scottish Government's plan, that of course it is his party, the Scottish Nationalist Party, that wants to leave the United Kingdom and therefore leave the European Union. <laughs> Uh, Thank you, Mr Speaker. Westinghouse-Springfield
0: site in my constituency employs over 1,200 people in high-skilled jobs manufacturing nuclear fuel that generates 15% of the UK's electricity. Does my right honourable friend agree with me that the nuclear industry is of crucial importance to the
2: North West economy and will she continue to support the construction of a new generation of nuclear power stations to guarantee jobs in the region?
1: I certainly agree with my hon. Friend that new nuclear does have a crucial role to play in securing our future uh, energy needs, especially as, as we are looking to move to a low-carbon society. And the industrial society, uh, strategy that the Government will be setting out will have a strong emphasis on the role of regions in supporting economic growth and ensuring that the economy works for everyone. And like my hon. Friend, I very much welcome the proposal from new Gen and Toshiba to develop a new nuclear power station at Moorside in Cumbria, and the Department for uh, Business Bays continues to work closely with NewGen and other developers as they bring
2: their proposals forward. Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. It's nice to give such a warm welcome, and can I wish all members a happy new year, as well as all members of staff in the House. And I hope the whole House will join me, and I'm sure they will, Mr Speaker, in paying tribute to 22-year-old Lance Corporal Scott Hetherington, who died in a non-combat incident in Iraq last Monday. And I'm sure the whole House will join in heartfelt condolences to the family and friends of the tragic death of seven-year-old Katie Ruff in York earlier this week. I think it's right that we send the condolences to her family. Last week, Mr Speaker, 485 people in England spent more than 12 hours on trolleys in hospital corridors. The Red Cross described this as a humanitarian crisis. I called on the Prime Minister to come to Parliament on Monday. She didn't. She sent the Health Secretary. But does she agree with him that the best way to solve the crisis of the four-hour wait is to fiddle the figures so that people are not seen to be waiting so long on uh, trolleys in NHS hospitals?
1: Well, first of all, may I join the Right Honourable Gentleman in sending our condolences to the family of Lance Corporal Hetherington, uh, who, as he said, said, died in a non-combat incident in Iraq. Uh, From everything I have seen and read about Lance Corporal Hetherington, he was a very fine young man. Uh, He was delighted in being in the armed forces, and uh, we're proud that such a fine young man was in our armed forces. I also uh, join the Right Honourable Gentleman in expressing condolences to the family and friends of little Katie, who died so tragically. Uh, Now he talks about the pressures on the NHS and we acknowledge that there are pressures on the National Health Service. There are always extra pressures on the NHS during the winter but of course we have at the moment those added pressures of the ageing population and uh, the growing complex needs of the population. He also refers to the British Red Cross's term of a humanitarian crisis. I have to say to him that I think we've all seen humanitarian crises around the world and to use that description of a national health service which which last year saw two and a half million more people treated in an accident and emergency than six years ago was irresponsible
2: and overblown. Mr Speaker, 1.8 million people had to wait longer than four hours last year in uh, A&E departments. Now, the Prime Minister might not like what the Red Cross said, but on the same day, the British Medical Association said conditions in hospitals across the country are reaching a dangerous level. The Royal College of Nursing has said NHS conditions the worst ever. Royal College of Physicians has told the Prime Minister the NHS is underfunded, underdoctored and overstretched. If she won't listen to the Red Cross, who will she listen to? I have said to the right hon. Gentleman that I, of course, acknowledge
1: that there are pressures on the National Health Service. The Government has put extra funding into the National Health Service. The fact that we are seeing more people being treated in our NHS – two and a half thousand more people are treated within four hours every day in the National Health Service – that is because of the Government putting in extra funding and of the hard work of medical professionals in our (laughs) National Health Service. But I also say to him it is not just a question of targets in relation to the health service, and we continue to have a commitment, as the Health Secretary has made clear, to the four-hour target. It is a question of making sure that people are provided with the, the appropriate care for them and the best possible care for them in their circumstances.
2: Jeremy Corbyn. Mr Speaker, she seems to be in some degree of denial about this and won't listen to and won't listen to professional organisations who've spent their whole lifetime doing their best for the NHS. But can I ask her if she'll listen to Sean, who works for the NHS? She has a 22 month old nephew. He went into hospital. There was no bed. He was treated on two plastic chairs pushed together with a blanket. And she says, one of the nurses told her sister, it's always like this nowadays. And she asked a question to all of us. Surely we should strive to do better than this. Does the Prime Minister of the Health Secretary think this is an acceptable way of treating a 22 year old 22 month old child needing help?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I accept there have been a small number of incidents where the where where unacceptable practices have taken place. But what matters what matters, we don't want those, th- those things to happen, what matters is how you then deal with them, and that's why it's so important that the NHS does look uh, into issues where there are unacceptable uh, incidents that have taken place, and then learns lessons from them, but I come back to the point that I was making earlier, he talks about the hard-working healthcare professionals like Sean in the uh, National Health Service, and indeed we should be grateful for the wor- all those who are working in the NHS, over the Christmas period, in the Tuesday afternoon. Christmas we saw the busiest day ever in the National Health Service and over the few weeks around Christmas we saw uh, the day when more people more people were treated in accident and emergency within four hours than had ever happened before this is the reality of our National Health Service
2: Mr Speaker we all thank the NHS staff and we all praise the NHS staff but her government is proposing through sustainability and transformation to cut one third of the beds in all of our hospitals in, in the very near future. And on Monday, she spoke about mental health and doing more to help people, with particularly young people, with those conditions. And I welcome that, except that last night the BBC revealed that over five years there had been an 89% increase in young people with mental health issues having to go to a and departments. So doesn't she agree that the 1.25 billion committed to child and adolescent mental health in 2015 should have been ring-fenced rather than used as a resource to be raided to plug other holes in other budgets within the NHS.
0: Well,
1: if we look at what is happening in relation to mental health treatment in the National Health Service, we see 1,400 more people every day accessing mental health services. Now, when I spoke about this issue on Monday, I said that there is, of course, more for us to do. This is not a problem that is going to be resolved overnight. I have set out ways in which we are going to see an improvement in the services in relation to mental health. But it is about the appropriate care for any individual. And as I mentioned earlier, that's not just about accident and emergency. When I was uh, in Aldershot on Monday, when I was in Aldershot on Monday, I spoke to service users with mental health problems who said they didn't want to go to accident and emergency. The provision of alternative services has meant that the A and E locally has seen their numbers stabilising rather than going up. It is about the appropriate care for the individual. We want to see that good practice spread across the whole country.
2: Jeremy Mr. Speaker, nobody wants people with mental health conditions to go to A&E departments. The A&E departments don't—they want, don't want them to go there. But under this government, there's 6,000 fewer nurses working in mental health, 400 fewer doctors working in mental health. It's obvious they're going to go somewhere to try and get help when they're in a desperate situation. Mr. Speaker, our NHS is under huge pressure. Much of that is caused by cuts to social care. Yeah. The Royal College of Physicians says that it is pushing more people into our hospitals and trapping them there for longer. So, will the Prime Minister do what my friend the member for Leicester South has called for and bring forward the extra 700 million allocated in 2019 now into social care so that we don't have this problem of people staying too long in hospital when they should be cared for by a social care system? Yeah.
1: Well, the right
2: hon. Gentleman asked me these questions before Christmas in the last p.m.
1: queues. Uh, he, he may find it difficult to believe that somebody will say the same thing that they said a few weeks ago. Uh, but <laughs> we, have, we have put extra money into social care. We, in the medium term, we are ensuring that best practice is uh, spread across the country because he talks about delayed discharges. There are some local authorities working with their health service locally where there are virtually no delayed discharges. 50%, 50%, half of the delayed discharges are in only 24 local authority areas. What does that tell us? It tells us it's not just about funding, it's about best practice. But if the right hon. Gentleman comes back to me and talks to me about funding again, he should think on this. We can only fund social care and we can only fund the NHS if we have a strong economy. We will only have that with the Conservatives.
2: (laughs) Mr Speaker, I am sorry to have to bring the Prime Minister back to the subject of social care which I raised before Christmas. The reason I did so, and I will continue to do so, is she has not addressed the problem. (laughs) The government has cut £4.6 billion from social care budget. Yep. Yes. The King's Fund says there is a social care funding gap of £2 billion almost yep. this year. Earlier this week, the Prime Minister said she wanted to create a shared society. Well, we've certainly got that. More people sharing hospital corridors on trolleys. More people sharing waiting areas and A&E departments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More people sharing in anxiety created by this Government. Our NHS, Mr Speaker, is in crisis, but the Prime Minister is in denial. Can I suggest to her, on the economic question, cancel the corporate tax cuts. Spend the money where it's needed on people in desperate need, in social care or in our hospitals.
1: The Right Honourable Gentleman talks about crisis. I suggest he listens to the uh, Honourable Member for Don Valley, a former Labour Health Minister, who said the following, With Labour, it's always about crisis. The NHS is on its knees. We've got to be a bit more grown up about this. And he talks to me about corporation tax uh, and uh, restoring the cuts in corporation tax. The Labour Party has already spent that money eight times. The last thing the NHS needs is a cheque from Labour that bounces. The only way that we can ensure we have got funding for the National Health Service is a strong economy. Yes. Yesterday, the right hon. gentleman proved that he's not only incompetent, but that he would destroy our economy, and that would devastate our National Health Service. Yes. Sexing and revenge pornography are part of British uh, teenage life today, so is a rapid increase in mental health problems amongst (coughs) our teenagers. How is the Prime Minister helping to tackle the pressures that teenagers face in Britain today? Yeah. Well, my honourable, my honourable friend raises a very important point. And one of the things I spoke about when I spoke about mental health on Monday is actually trying to ensure that we can provide some better training for staff and teachers in schools to identify the early stages of mental health crisis, mental health problems for young people, so that those problems can be addressed. I think it's something like half of all mental health problems start before the age of 14. So this is a really issue that we need to address we 're going to uh, uh, look at how we can provide that training and we 'll be looking at a number of other ways in which we uh, we'll be also be reviewing the uh, mental health services provided for young people to ensure that we can identify what is working and make sure that that is spread good practice is spread across the country
0: mr Angus robertson yes. may I begin with a tribute to father George Thompson who died shortly before Christmas he led a remarkable life As a teacher, as a priest, and as the SNP Member of Parliament for Galloway, we extend our sympathies to his family. Mr Speaker, all of us in this House and across these islands care about the peace process and about the democratic institutions in Northern Ireland. So may I wish the Prime Minister well, the Taoiseach, the Northern Irish Secretary, to the political parties all the best in trying to resolve the serious political difficulties there. Will the Prime Minister tell us what the consequences will be if no agreement can be found?
1: First of all, may I join the Right Honourable Gentleman in offering condolences to the family and friends of the Reverend George Thompson, who, as he says, was the MP for Galloway between 1974 and 79, and I believe was the first former MP in modern times to be ordained a Roman Catholic priest. Uh, on the issue that he's raised about the political situation in northern ireland we are taking this extre- obviously treating this with the utmost seriousness as he will know my right honourable friend the northern ireland secretary made a statement in this house earlier this week on this uh, on this issue he's spoken to the first minister uh, and the former uh, the, the former deputy first minister uh, and he's urging all parties to work together to find a way forward. I myself have also spoken to the Taoiseach about this issue so we are uh, putting every effort into this. Um, The legislation is that if within seven days uh, we don't have um, a nomination for a Deputy First Minister then the matter would go to an election.
0: Angus Robertson. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister has indicated that she wants to take the views of the elected representatives and the devolved institutions on Brexit seriously. So it stands to reason then that if there is no Northern Irish Assembly and there is no Northern Irish Executive for much of the time before the March timetable that she has set before invoking Article 50. That she'll be unable to properly consult, to fully discuss, and to find agreement on the complex issues during this time period. In these circumstances, will the Prime Minister postpone invoking Article 50? Will she postpone Article 50 or will she just plough on regardless?
1: it's about ensuring, as he, as he says, we want to ensure that we do hear the views from all parts of the United Kingdom. That's why we have established the JMC uh, European uh, committee specifically to take the views and the JMC plenary which is also uh, obviously meeting more frequently than previously and I'm clear that first of all we want to try to ensure that within this period of seven days we can find a resolution to the political situation in Northern Ireland so that we can continue to see uh, the uh, the Assembly Government continuing Um, but I'm also clear that in the discussions that we have it will be possible I mean it is still the case that actually ministers are in place uh, and that, obviously, there are executives in place, that we are still able to take the views of the Northern Ireland people.
0: Order. Closed question, Mr Michael Fabrican. Question five, sir.
1: thank you uh, very much, Mr Speaker. Uh, apology, uh, apologies. For <laughs> uh, the fundamentals of the UK's economy are strong, including in Staffordshire and the West Midlands. Uh, Employment in Staffordshire has risen by over 20,000 since 2010. We've protected schools and police budgets. We see more doctors and more nurses in the Burton uh, Hospitals Trust. Uh, of course, we're going further than this in the West Midlands by giving new powers to the West Midlands with the devolution deal and with the election of a directly elected mayor. And I have to say that I think Andy Street, with his business and local experience, would be a very good mayor for the West Midlands. Michael Fabricant. I thank
0: the Prime Minister, my right honourable friend, for that answer. Unemployment in my constituency, my beautiful Lichfield constituency, yeah, 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 yeah. is around 0.7%. And that's fantastic, but I want it even lower and you know I found out that 24% of my constituents work in the area of the West Midlands Combined Authority so can I press my right honourable friend just a little bit further about what she thinks is needed in the West Midlands Combined Authority to improve employment still more
1: well I I thank my honourable friend um, and of course I have had I have had the advantage of having visited his, uh, his beautiful constituency. But in relation to the Midlands, we have very strong ambition to make the Midlands engine, uh, Midlands an engine for growth in the UK. That's why we have plans for the Midlands engine that demonstrate that when we say we're going to build an economy that works for everyone, we actually mean it. At the autumn statement, my right hon. friend the Chancellor confirmed things such as the £5 million for a Birmingham rail hub, a £250 million Midlands engine investment uh, fund, and will shortly be publishing a strategy for the Midlands engine. But I repeat the point that I made, that I think for the West Midlands, having the devolution deal, having the mayor, and having the right person elected as mayor, and who I think will be Andy Street, is absolutely crucial. Ian Murray.
0: Happy New Year, here, here. Mr Speaker. Sir Ivan Rogers, in his resignation letter, said that people may have to deliver messages to the government that they may find disagreeable. So here is a message the Prime Minister may find disagreeable. Her lack of priority for the single market is putting jobs in Scotland and the economy at risk. That means her government is as big a threat to the Union as the SNP. Her government is not worthy of the trust of Scots, let alone their blind trust. So will the Prime Minister take this opportunity to apologise for threatening the Union and give a solemn promise to every single person in this country that they'll not be a penny worse off After a Tory Brexit.
1: The Honourable Gentleman will be very well aware. That I want to see the best possible trade deal for the United Kingdom with the EU, the best possible deal for trading with and operating within the single European market. When we enter the negotiations, obviously that is one of the uh, uh, issues that I have said that I want to see, and we will be out there and be delivering on it. And unlike the sort of downplaying that he does uh, about the uh, approach that we're taking, I have to say it is this government that is ambitious for the opportunities that are available to this country once we leave the European Union. To our next Thank you Mr Speaker, Cheshire schools in areas of rurality and areas of high deprivation will receive some of the lowest per pupil funding rates in the country under the new proposed funding formula. Does the Prime Minister (laughs) agree that these discrepancies must be addressed to ensure that Eddisbury pupils get the best possible start in life? I think think everybody recognises that the way that schools have been funded in the past has been unfair and many pupils have been missing out. That's why I think it is right for us to look at bringing forward a new fair funding formula, um, making sure that funding is attached to children's needs. Of course, we recognise the particular issues of rural areas in uh, this, and that's why, within the uh, fair funding formula, additional funding for such schools has been... Included. Uh, but of course, the Department of Education has this out for consultation at the moment, and I would urge my honourable friend to make her representations as part of that consultation. Tracy Braben. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Dewsbury Hospital AE is set for downgrade this year. Over Christmas, I had constituents who were waiting 20 hours for a bed in a facility that might not even exist next year. Would the Prime Minister now please? Face reality and act now Absolutely. to stop this vital A.N.E. service from disappearing. Absolutely. What the Honourable Lady is referring to, of course, is the plans that are being put forward at local level to consider...
0: far too much noise. I must say to the Honourable Member for Dewsbury that if she were behaving in another public place like this, she'd probably be subject to an antisocial behaviour order.
1: (laughs) I return to the point, Mr Speaker. Decisions about services in the local area are rightly taken by the local National Health Service because we believe that it's local clinicians and also local patients and leaders who know what's best for their area. So it's about trying to tailor the services to provide the best possible needs for local people, modernising the care and the facilities and making services appropriate to the local area. Now, this trust has an extensive improvement plan to ensure that both hospitals within it can care for patients attending accident and emergency in a timely uh, way as possible.
0: (laughs) Richard Fuller, Mr Speaker. Next next Thursday evening, I will host the first session of the Bedford Community Business School, free of charge, open to all, with 250 local people sharing a passion for entrepreneurship and learning tips about business from national and local business leaders. So will my right hon. friend ensure That a forthcoming industrial strategy has at its heart the passion and the interests of Britain's small business leaders and entrepreneurs.
1: Well, I can absolutely give my honourable friend that commitment. What is important is that the industrial strategy will be looking to the economy of the future. What is the sort of economy that we want in this country? And crucial to that will be the growth that is generated by entrepreneurs, by small businesses, by the very passion that he has spoken about. We want to see an environment in which uh, those who can grow, can emerge and can develop and can provide future jobs for people and contribute to the strength of our economy. That is what the industrial strategy is about, and I absolutely agree with. My honourable friend. Norman Lamb. Uh, Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister, I'm sure, will
0: understand, despite the reassurances, that that there are genuine and really serious concerns amongst staff across the NHS and the care system and patients and their families about the pressures that they are under. Uh, And it's for that reason that MPs from her own party, from the Labour Party, and from my own have come together to call. For the government to establish an NHS and Care Convention to engage with the public so that we can come up with a long term settlement for the NHS and Care. Would the Prime Minister be prepared to meet with us just to discuss it so that she
1: can hear our case? Well, I recognise obviously the interest and, and the attention that the Honourable Gentleman has given to these issues, and of course, he is a former Health Minister himself, and I will be happy to meet uh, with him and others as he suggests. Mr. Ed
0: Arger. There can be nothing as distressing for a parent as the death of their child, particularly where that child has been murdered. That is what happened to the two ladies, one of them a constituent of mine, who set up justice after acquittal, successfully campaigning for voluntary national standards of support by the CPS and by the police for the families of murder victims following an acquittal and those standards are due to be launched here next Tuesday. Would the Prime Minister join with me in paying tribute to the determination and energy with which they have campaigned for their cause and will she continue to ensure, as she always has done, that the voices of the victims of crime and their families are always listened to?
1: Well my uh, honourable friend raises a very important point and I'm very happy to join him in paying tribute. To these two campaigners, and indeed, I, I'm sure that the whole House would want to pay tribute to the work that they are doing. As he says, I, I remain committed to ensuring that the voices of victims are heard. That's what I uh, did when I was Home Secretary. If you look at the issues such as introducing uh, new measures to tackle modern slavery, strengthening the IPCC, uh, legislating in relation to police complaints and discipline systems to strengthen public confidence in policing and a number of other actions that I took. And I'm very pleased to say that my right honourable friend, the current Home Secretary, is taking that same passion to ensure that the the voices of the victims of crime are heard and is taking that forward.
0: Joanna Cherry.
1: Across the United Kingdom, uh, many banks are accelerating their closure of local branches with adverse effects on vulnerable and older people and adverse effects on the high street. The Royal Bank of Scotland is closing down branches across Scotland, including Juniper Green and Chesser in my constituency. Local convenience stores are taking the strain, processing bills and often facing exorbitant bank charges for the privilege of doing that. Will the Prime Minister meet with me to discuss how we can realise a situation where banking across the UK services customers and the real economy? The issue of uh, bank branches and, indeed, uh, accessibility of bank services is one that is for individual banks themselves to, uh, to take uh, and consider. And, of course, there are many ways in which people are now accessing bank services, other than going physically into an actual bank branch. Uh, but I will certainly look at the issue that she has raised.
0: Dr James Davis. Yes. Yes. Yes.
1: Building a country that works for everyone means, do, means doing even more to tackle the economic and social deprivation that has come to <coughs> afflict to pockets of seaside towns in Rhyl, um, such as Rill in my constituency. <laughs> Would my right honourable friend therefore support Growth Track 360, a locally developed plan to invest in rail infrastructure to help unlock the true potential of the North Wales Mersey-D
0: economic region as an integral part of the northern powerhouse? connected to the rest of the country by the proposed HS2 hub at Crewe.
1: Well, can I uh, say to my honourable friend that I welcome the establishment of the North Wales and Mersey D Rail Task Force and the work that they are doing. Uh, And the plan that he mentions sets out an ambitious programme of improvements for the area. I'm sure they're going to be prioritising the most promising options. What I can say to him is that the Department for Transport will continue to work closely with the task force and with the Welsh Government to consider what can be jointly accomplished. Alan Brown Thank you Mr Speaker.
0: As Pensions Minister Steve Webb misled the public in the value of the single rate pension. He also gave us the 2011 Pensions Act. It was rightly booted out by the voters but yet is now deemed suitable for a knighthood. Huh? No. Now unless this government takes action to help the struggling waspy women, does she not understand that knighthood is a final insult to these women? Yeah. Yeah
1: has been taken in the issue in relation to women's pensions. Um, the government took action to ensure that the uh, number of people who were affected in the period for which uh, uh, they were affected would be reduced, and uh, money was put in to ensure that that was possible. But I also say to the honourable gentleman that if you look at the new structure that is being put in place for pensions, actually women will be some of the greater uh, beneficiaries of the new structure.
0: Chris White. Uh, thank, thank you, Mr Speaker. I welcome the Prime Minister raising the awareness of the importance of child mental health this week. Not least because last year 65% of young people requiring mental health support in South Warwickshire had to wait over 12 weeks before starting treatment. Can my right honourable friend outline how the new proposals will improve our support network for such vulnerable young people?
1: Well, my hon. Friend does raise a very important issue, which, of course, was alluded to earlier in, uh, in this session of PMQs. We are investing more in mental health than ever before. Um, we are spending a record £11.4 billion a year, and, of course, it was Conservative-led government that introduced the parity of esteem between mental and physical health. But, as I said earlier, there is more for us to do in ensuring that we see the appropriate care available for people. And uh, I cited an example earlier of where I saw excellent work being done to provide care and support for people in the community, um, which was relieving pressure on accident and emergency, but also ensuring people were getting the best possible care for them, which is obviously what we want to see.
0: John Woodcock. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Strained accident and emergency provision in my constituency is under review and further up the Cumbrian coast the community risks losing 24 hour access to accident and emergency and consultant led maternity from its local hospital I understand that she will say that these decisions are to be made locally but will she at least say that she can understand the anxiety of expectant mums who face a 40 mile journey on difficult roads which are often blocked if they have a difficult birth.
1: Can I say to the uh, the Honourable Gentleman that I think the problems that are facing the health service in Cumbria are widely recognised and I do understand the concerns of local people in terms of the services that will be available for them. We have put uh, robust national support in place to address some of the long-standing challenges in Cumbria and we're developing a lasting plan to deliver high quality, sustainable services that are what patients rightly expect. He's right in saying that in relation to these specific decisions, they are being taken locally. No final decisions have uh, been taken. I recognise the concern which he has raised previously, um, particularly about services at West Cumberland Hospital. Uh, there will be considerable involvement in taking those decisions, but as I say, we do recognise the local concerns about. That some of the long-standing challenges for health service provision in Cumbria.
0: Dr. Caroline
1: Johnson.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I know from my career in medicine
1: that the men and women of our East Midlands Ambulance Service do a brave and sterling job for the people of Sleaford and North Highcombe and others, saving people's lives every day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. East Midlands Ambulance Service responded to a total of 11,662 999 calls over the Christmas bank holiday weekend alone, two and a half thousand of which were in Lincolnshire. Will the Prime Minister join me in paying tribute to their dedication, particularly over the busy winter period, and tell the House what more the government can do to support our ambulance services? and improve response times in rural areas like Sleaford and North Highland. Well, can I uh, thank my Honourable Friend for her question and also for bringing her personal experience as a medical professional in relation to this, uh, this issue. And I'm very happy to join her in paying tribute to the men and women of the Ambulance Service and the dedication and commitment that they show. Uh, she asked what the Government has been doing. We recognise uh, that the Ambulance Services are very busy. That's why we see over 2,000 more paramedics now compared to 2010 and we're increasing paramedic training places by over 60% this year. Uh, also, the Department of Health, NHS, employers and ambulance unions have agreed changes to the compensation for paramedics, potentially giving them a pay increase of up to £14,000 as they progress. But we recognise the excellent work that they do.
0: Yeah. Robinson. Very grateful, Mr Speaker. Can I commend the Prime Minister for her considered statement last night and indeed the words that she's given uh, this afternoon. She knows our commitment to the institutions in Northern Ireland, but would she agree that nothing can be or should be gained from threatening the peace process, the progress that we have made, or the institutions that we have fought so hard to sustain in Northern Ireland?
1: Well, the progress that has been made in Northern Ireland has been hard won and we must all recognise that we don't want to put that progress in jeopardy. That is why I think it is so important for the Government and for all parties to work as hard as we can to see a resolution to this issue so we can see a return to the power-sharing institutions and ensure, as we say, that the progress that has been hard won can be continued. Nikki Morgan. Thank you very much indeed, Mr Speaker. Can I warmly welcome what my right honourable friend said about children's mental health Earlier on this week, but may I draw her attention to another burning injustice. My constituent, Paula Edwards, has been battling cancer for four years. She's recovered from operation, she's taken 28 weeks off work, she's still employed, she has on a half pay, and yet her working tax credits have been stopped, which means that she's worrying about how she's making the ends meet rather than on her recovery. Could I ask my right- hon. friend to ask the Treasury to look at this perhaps in the course of budget preparations? Yeah. Can), can I, uh, Thank my honourable, right honourable friend for her comments about the mental health uh, announcements that I have made. I am sorry to hear of the particular difficulties that she has set out that her uh, constituent is experiencing and the distress that this has caused her. Um, of course, working tax credits provide support for low-income families and work. They are designed to incentivise people to increase their working hours. Um, we will be, obviously, with the new universal credit system, having a system of benefits with single streamlined payments that does encourage uh, work. But in the individual case that my right honourable friend has raised, I'm sure that the Financial Secretary to the Treasury would be happy to look at that individual case and the issue that it it has set out.